Well, we are going to continue today in our study of the Gospel of John. So if you will turn in your Bibles there with me, we will be at chapter 12. The Gospel of John, chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we have some back at the back door you can borrow to follow along with us and to be able to see what the text says. In these verses, these stories we're going to read, it was Passover time. It was, uh, in fact, you'll hear it say it's six days before the Passover. So we're going to read two stories today. They're both from this same passage of Scripture. We're going to read two stories. The first one happened on Saturday evening before Passover. Now, this is the Passover where Jesus gave his life on the cross. So this is just a few days, just a few days before Jesus is arrested and before the crucifixion. So... Saturday evening. At Passover time, people from all over the world, pilgrims would go to Jerusalem, Jewish pilgrims, to celebrate what God had done. Passover, remember, is the time when they remember and uh, when they celebrate the fact that God delivered them through with Moses. God delivered them from Egypt. It's the time when they remember the ten plagues. It's the time when they remember that they, the lamb gave its life and its blood was put on the door and the angel of death passed over their homes. It's the time when they celebrate God dividing the Red Sea and them walking through on dry ground and being delivered from the Pharaoh's army. It's a time of great rejoicing, a time of great hope. And in this Passover, as the people were gathering, they didn't know, but this is the Passover where Jesus came to Jerusalem, just as John the Baptist had said, way back there in chapter 1, we read that a long time ago now, didn't we? Back in chapter 1, where he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And so he is going to be the Passover lamb in less than a week from this story that we're going to read. So we're going to begin at verse 1 of chapter 12. Six days before Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. 
You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So here is the first story. Now, both of the stories that we're going to read today are about adoration. Adoration. So keep that in mind as we're going through it. Here we have a story of Mary's outrageous action. This was just as bizarre in their culture as it would be in ours. So some of us, we've heard the story before and we kind of feel, oh, well, yeah, there's the story about Mary. Okay, I know the story. But no, this was an outrageously extravagant, bizarre thing for Mary to do, to show her adoration in this way. Now, she had a pint of pure nard. Most of you have never seen pure perfume ever. You probably go have been to the store and been blown away by the price and decide, well, you could get a little bitty bottle or something because you know that perfume is very, very expensive. But perfume, when you go to the store and you buy the perfume, then it has all been diluted. It is not pure essence. This was pure nard. Now, Egypt happens to be the place where an awful lot of the essences for perfume is produced. It's made from flowers. Here is a, bod- a bottle of essence. It is not cheap. But this, with this, a perfume company might make half gallon or more of perfume out of the amount that is in this little bottle so you you could go into the shops i don't know if you call it a shop where they sell essence in in egypt it's like a sitting room you go in you sit down they bring you tea you chat for a while Then they start taking bottles down off of the wall. Big bottles filled with essence. Now, what is essence? Essence is the oil that comes out of different kinds of flowers and plants. So it's plants and it's squeezed out. And and so it is pure oil. And it it has whatever it is that makes the plants, the flowers smell so nice. And so it's all in the oil. And it's pure. So they bring out these big bottles and they, they, they touch you with it and, and you smell it and, and everything. And then eventually they hope you buy about 10 gallons of it. But, uh, of course you can't afford to do that. So, so when we were there, I bought Karen this little bottle of essence, but it's, this will last her probably for years because it doesn't take much. Because it is the pure, potent stuff. Even in Egypt, it's not cheap. But it's a whole lot cheaper there than here. If you add the price of the plane ticket to get there, though. So don't go to Egypt just to get essence, all right? You you need to go for other reasons if you're going to go to, to Egypt. But that's the kind of thing she had. It was a pint. That was not a pint, as you know. It was a pint. A pint of this pure essence. And so Jesus and his disciples, it was all the men. Only when it was just the family would women eat with with the men. 
in their culture. So it's just the men sitting there. And here, here comes Mary into the room. She kneels down at Jesus' feet. She takes out this very expensive essence, and she starts pouring it out on him. And then she lets down her hair. She takes off the, the veil, the, the covering, the scarf covering her hair, and she wipes his feet with her hair. I'm sure that much oil on feet made a mess. Now just imagine what you would think if you were in a place and that happened. Suppose, suppose today you go out for lunch at some restaurant and all of a sudden at the table just across from you, someone starts doing this. What would you think? Would that not be a very bizarre thing to, to watch? So the people were not comfortable watching what Mary was doing. What was Mary doing? She was expressing her adoration, her love for Jesus. Because he had transformed her life. Remember last week we read about how he had raised her brother who had been in the tomb for four days. Raised him to life. And, and for a long time Jesus had been a close friend of Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And because of what he had done in her life she adored him. So she just forgot all about what people might think. She didn't care because her love for Jesus was more important than what anybody thought. And so she did this extravagantly bizarre thing there. This came out of her heart. This was her expression of love for him, love and adoration. Now, here's this room full of men. They're feeling really awkward. It's like, what is she trying to do? What is she trying to communicate? What does this mean? Here is a woman touching his feet, wiping it with her hair. You can just begin to imagine the kinds of thoughts that these guys are having about what is going on here. Well, Jesus says for them to just relax. Just relax. He says, she's doing this for my burial. Now, what does this got to do with burial? It has, it's this. In their culture, they, they didn't embalm bodies. But we talked about this last week. They would wrap them in linen and then they would put all kinds of spices uh, on the linen and they would do this to to perfume the corpse. Uh, we've got some pictures I want to show you that that are from a tomb in in the Holy Land. Now, sometimes we get the idea, you know, from Sunday school pictures or something, you know, here, here's a tomb, here's a door, here's the stone, roll it over the door. And inside there's one bench. So, no, many of the tombs 
were rooms. So you can see this room. This is a tomb. And so we're inside the tomb. And you can see on the sides there are these niches. Let's, let's look at the next picture. And, well, you can see the two niches, two niches there, a close-up of it. Let's look at the next one. And so, well, you couldn't see the last one. There's a guy lying in one of those niches there, just to demonstrate. Not a dead man, okay? It's a guy who decided he would just demonstrate for us what it would look like. So you can see this, these, here's another tomb, these niches. It was a very, that's the way that they did it. Now what they did was they would wrap the, the body of the dead, they would put the perfume on it, and they would stick it in one of these niches here. Now, there's lots of niches, right? So maybe somebody's going to die and we're going to need to use another niche. That's why we went to the trouble to get that all carved out for us. And so, so, well, now you can see the bottom of his foot there, but it's, it's still, you have to go back and look at it on the computer, okay? It's real clear there. So, uh, so, um, they, of course, the bodies would decompose. And decomposing bodies don't smell good. So they put the perfume on the body to try to help the aroma. There's no circulation in the tomb. So if you have to go in there to, to place another body, it's hopefully going to help a little bit. And then what they would do, their burial practice was, after the body had decomposed and all that was left was the bones, then let's look at the next picture here. They had these boxes, these stone boxes, they're called ossuaries, that they would gather up the skeleton and they would put it in the little box and then they would stack this over in the side of the tomb. But the benches, it wasn't like the person laid on the bench for... From now till all eternity, it was, they were put there until the bones were all that was left, and then they would gather the bones up, and then they could reuse the tomb. So, they used perfume in the burials, and Jesus says, this is for my burial. This is the prophetic thing she's doing. She's showing her love now. This is a prophetic thing about my burial. Now, Judas, of course, you heard what Judas did. Judas isn't comfortable. Judas is the practical one. You know, love and adoration, you can get really impractical, right? So Judas, he's not happy. Just think how much all that perfume was worth. Lots of money. There are poor people in the world. Jesus has talked to us numerous times about the way we love God is by loving others and doing good to others. So she could have sold this and she could have given the money to help out the poor. And it could have been a great blessing. Here it is. It's just all wasted in this one extravagant event. We all smelled it. Well, now it's all, it'll all be gone by tomorrow. And Jesus said, you're missing the point. You're missing the point, Judas. The point is, this is adoration. Adoration isn't supposed to be all calculated and figured out and measured out. And yes, I can afford this much adoration. And, and oh, well, I, don't, I want to be careful about what people think, so I don't want to get too extravagant here. So I do my adoration dignified. And reserved. No, Jesus is saying, Mary, 
Mary has done a good thing. And John here has told us this story because he wants us to understand that adoration of the Lord, adoration of Jesus Christ, is just supposed to be full-hearted without any kinds of reservation, just giving ourselves to him, which is exactly what Jesus said. Remember what he said the greatest commandment is? Love the, love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Just give yourself in loving adoration to him. Why? Because just as Mary's life had been transformed by meeting Jesus, by knowing Jesus, the one who is the Logos, the creator, the sovereign of everything. Just as her encounter with him had transformed her, she realizes now who he is. And she adores him. Well, there's another story here. So let's read the second story. We're, we're going to start once again in the scriptures, at, at this time at verse 9. And we're going to read the next story. Meanwhile, a large crowd of the Jews found out that Jesus was there in Bethany. Remember, it's only about a a little more than a mile and a half from the Temple Mount over to Bethany. So it's a short walk. They found out that Jesus was there. And they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. I mean, how many raised from the dead people have you seen? So they wanted to go see it. These were people. The stories were circulating. People coming from all over the world as pilgrims. And they hearing the stories of Jesus. Oh, he's just over the hill there. Okay, I want to go see Lazarus. They want to go see what's, what's been going on. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid. O daughter of Zion, see, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he, saw, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is gone out after him. So what is this all about? What's going on here? What's this thing about palm branches? Well, uh, this is not the first time the people of Jerusalem and the people around Jerusalem had waved 
palm branches. The, the time previous to this, the most famous time previous to this, closest to this, had happened less than a hundred years before. Or, or a little more than a hundred years before. That was the time when Simon the Maccabee and the people had taken the temple back from the pagans and they had purified the temple and they were becoming for the first time in centuries an independent people. And so in praise and worship on that day, they had waved the palm branches. And so it's a sign of, of independence. It's a sign of self-sovereignty. It's a sign of freedom. It is a sign of rejoicing. And the disciples remembered this scripture that the prophet had written 550 years before the day that they marched in to Jerusalem. Now just try to imagine it. They're coming down the Mount of Olives, this large hill. Bethany's just on the other side. They, he's gotten on the donkey just at the top. and They're coming down this highway, only it's not a very wide road. They're coming down this road that winds down the Mount of Olives. They're heading to Jerusalem. They're singing. They're shouting. They're praising. They know stories. They have heard stories of what Jesus did in Galilee. Some of them are from Galilee. They had seen the miracles he had done. Some of those people are ones who ate bread and fish. The day that Jesus multiplied the food and fed over 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and the two fish. Some of them had eaten that. They had seen lepers who were cleansed. Some of them had been at the wedding where they drank the wine that had come from the water, the miracle that Jesus had done. They knew all kinds of stories about Jesus and what he had been doing. And remember, they're coming from Lazarus's house, the guy who was dead a few weeks ago. They're coming from his house. And so they are praising and worshiping. And they're all excited because the king, the sovereign of the universe, is coming to Jerusalem. And they see Jesus coming on the donkey. And some begin to remember what the scriptures have said. For Zechariah said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so they cut the palm branches because the king and sovereign is coming to Jerusalem. And still today, on Palm Sunday, people come from all over the world. They come by the thousands to walk down the same paths and to celebrate the king the creator of the universe, come. We've got pictures here. Oh, these are not... Well, we're, we're just going to have to do something here 
about this. But, but uh, you can see these people. Now, here they are at the top of the Mount of Olives going down the hill. You can see them turning around the corner up there. Let's look at the next picture. There you can see them going down over the hills and, and down around the corner. And they just march and march. Tens of thousands of people singing songs and praising, waving palm branches and other kinds of branches, just celebrating that the king has come. Let's look at the next picture. Here they are as they're more than halfway down the mountain now. And you can see the Dome of the Rock out across the valley in front of them where the temple was. Jesus was going down and he entered into the, the temple area. All these people, nobody organizes them. It's very disorganized. It's just what they do. They came there. So here's, here's a group that all came together. They're singing praises in their language. The next group behind, they're singing praises in their their language, just each group, you know, all this, these, these people, they just do their own thing, all giving adoration and praise to Jesus. And so it's just like that. And that is the kind of thing that was happening on this day. Now, just as over at Lazarus' house, while many adored... Some criticized. The Pharisees contemptuously say, Look how the whole world has gone out after him. They have a tendency to look at people who trust in Jesus that way. We've seen it before as we've read the book. Back in chapter 7, there were people that they sent out to arrest Jesus, and they came back without him, and they said, where is he? And they said, well, we never heard anyone talk like this. They said, oh, you uneducated rabble. You're just stupid. We know better. There's no reason to be impressed with this man. But the people who listened believed and found Life. Now their words, look, the whole world has gone out after him. John wants us to see, look, the whole world is going out after him. The one who is the Logos that he has told us about. The one who is God. The one who is the creator. The one who is truly our sovereign He has loved us so much that he has come here and become one of us to reconcile us to him. For we have all been alienated. We have all rebelled against him. We have all gone our own way and we have caused destruction in our lives. We have caused destruction in other people's lives. And some of us feel guilty about that. Some of us experience shame. But he offers mercy. And he frees us. It does not matter what you have done. When we trust in him, he forgives it all. Mary, think of Mary there pouring out that perfume on Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair. 
She was shameless, wasn't she? Shameless means without shame. Often when we use the word, we think, well, they ought to be ashamed, but they're, they're doing it anyway. But that's not what I'm meaning. I'm meaning she didn't care. She had been set free from all shame. And she just loved and adored. And this crowd coming down the Mount of Olives, celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, they didn't care that the people who controlled the temple and the people who controlled the government didn't like Jesus. They had seen what he had done. They had seen the miraculous signs. And we've seen them too as we've read through the book. And they believed and they trusted because who do you think he is if he can turn water into wine, if he can feed 5,000 people with only a little bit of food, if he can heal the sick, if he can give sight to those who were born blind, if he can give life to a man who's been in the grave for four days. Who do you think he is? If he can do those things. And so they have figured it out. And they know that he has come for them. And so they adore. As they process down the mountain. And into the city of Jerusalem. Later on in this chapter. Jesus said. Now is the time for judgment on the world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. He's talking about his death on the cross. He is going to drive out the ruler, the one who has deceived human beings and led us into destruction. He will be driven out. But he continues, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. You see, he had come for the crucifixion. He went to Jerusalem that day while everyone else was rejoicing and adoring and celebrating and praising. He knew he was coming to be crucified for all of them. And for all of us. He had come for that very purpose. It was not going to be some kind of disaster. It wasn't going to be a triumph for those who were his enemies. It was what he had planned since before the creation. He, the covenant representative, had come. To be our substitute. To take our curse. Your curse. To take on himself what he, uh, what we deserve. So that we can be free. He is the Logos. He is the creator. The Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Almighty Sovereign God of everything. And it is right and fitting, the only response that makes sense. 
is for us to adore him. Holding nothing back. Not worried about what somebody who's all confused and messed up might think about it. But to shamelessly adore him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. For he is our loving, sovereign God. So let us adore him. Let us bow our heads. You, right now, give adoration to him. In your heart, give him praise. Give him worship. Our gracious Father, we bow before you on this day and we adore you. We give to you our love, our devotion, for you are sovereign. We give to you, eagerly we give to you our devotion because you have loved us so faithfully, so extravagantly, so lavishly, you have freed us from our sin. You have offered mercy and forgiveness to us. You don't count it anymore. You have suffered in our place. And we are completely free. Now we are guiltless. You have liberated us from shame and we are shameless now in your great love you became one of us and lived among us when we feared you when we distrusted you when we rebelled against you, you came for the purpose of showing us exactly who you are so we could know you and in knowing you and your love be reconciled to you. And we have come and you have received us and we will never be the same ever again. We are your children because you have chosen us and adopted us. And with gratitude, with amazement, astonished at such grace that you give to us, we worship and we adore
He glorified our Father. Amen.